This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. God, take revenge on them who are improperly bringing this pain against me. I think all of those things, I I wouldn't have a problem with any of it. I could see that and I could say Jesus could pray for these things and he wouldn't lose any of his amazingness in my mind. And yet he doesn't. In all of this, he's not even concerned with himself as he goes to the cross. You see, this prayer is not for himself and his condition. It's for them and their condition. It's for you and me and our condition. It's easy to take advantage of kind people, even if we don't mean to. You become used to that friend always forgiving you and looking over your shortcomings, and when they don't, it seems cruel. Today, Pastor Cody looks at some of Jesus' last words as he was hanging on the cross. Not only did Jesus not curse those who put him there, but he prayed and asked for forgiveness on their behalf. He could have stayed silent even, but he reached out for those who not only didn't even believe in him, but didn't trust him. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 23 as Pastor Cody begins his message, A Saying of Forgiveness. Today we're going to be looking at uh, starting this new series through the seven sayings of Jesus. Looking at Luke chapter 23 verse 34, the idea is being a saying of forgiveness. This is going to be a seven-week series uh, on the cross of Jesus. We've already spent a couple of weeks on the cross of Jesus, getting to his crucifixion in John 19. But uh, just as we were studying through it, I thought it was necessary and pertinent for us to, to pause and to spend a little bit more time focusing on the cross of Jesus and not only what he did, but also what he said. And so that's the, the context for what we're going to be looking at together today. I don't know if you've ever thought about or, or understood or even approached the idea that there are seven seven separate distinct sayings of Jesus, that he said some things from the cross, that that as he was nailed there, there were some things on his heart and mind that he wanted to communicate, and there are seven different things. I remember uh, the first time someone said that to me, I had no idea that this even was true or this even had happened. I knew Jesus said some stuff, but I didn't know that there were seven of them, and I didn't know that you could go uh, so far as to spend a week on each of them and to actually go in depth into what Jesus is saying and why, but that's what we're going to be doing vital for us to thoroughly understand the cross, or we run the risk of misunderstanding Jesus and his purpose. And so that's the heart behind all of this. It's to say, we need to understand the Lord. We need to understand Jesus. We need to understand not only what he did, but he said some stuff. And so we should understand that as well. And and even the cross itself is the single most significant event in all of human history. We've said that before, but I think it bears repeating that that there is nothing more significant in all of human history than the cross of Jesus. Now, that's a massive statement to say. That's a a huge thing to to say, a, a big statement to make, because there are a lot of really important, very big things in human history. But all of them pale in comparison to the cross of Jesus. Because it's only by the cross of Christ, it's only by his blood shed on that cross that forgiveness of sin is offered. It's only through his sacrifice that we are made one with God again. And so it's important for us to get it, to understand it, to to grasp the significance of it. It's central to humanity. Even time itself is counting down prior to the cross to Jesus' cross. And since Jesus' cross, it's been counting up from there. It's central to everything. 
even time itself. And so as we begin this series, one of the things that I'm concerned with is your familiarity with Jesus, your familiarity with the cross. You ever heard the, the, uh, the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That we can become just indifferent to things because it's so familiar. And so too it is with us, that we can become so familiar with Jesus and his cross that we lose the feeling behind it. We lose the purpose behind it. We lose the understanding behind it. And we just kind of go through the motions of, yeah, Jesus, cross, it's a cool tattoo or a nice necklace or something, or you know, this thing that I have on my counter and forget what it's all about. Uh, and so my hope is that as we think through this and study through this, that the Holy Spirit will bring to your heart and bring to your mind maybe a, a fresh new perspective on the Lord. That somehow through this, that he would speak to us and that he would give us a deeper adoration, a deeper appreciation for who he is and how great he is. You see, we can tend to place the cross in the category uh, of maybe lore and fable uh, as an old story instead of seeing it as the life-giving work of Jesus for us. That somehow it slips into the category of just old stories instead of something that's life-changing, life-transforming for us today, for us right here, right where we're at. Not just something I trusted in then, but something that affects my life now and here today. And so God, essentially in the cross, takes upon himself humanity and allows himself to be brutally murdered that he might save us by his cross. And so it's with the extreme significance of the cross that we must understand not only what Jesus did, but also what he said. And like I said before, there are seven separate significant sayings that Jesus has from the cross, and this is the basis of our series together. And so here's our big idea as we look at our section today. Our big idea is this. Forgiveness comes only through the cross of Jesus. Forgiveness comes only through the cross of Jesus. Now, we're not going to even attempt to do an entire theology of forgiveness. That would be impossible in our time together today. We're going to really narrow it down and really focus on Jesus and what he's doing, okay? And so that's our, our hope together today. Read. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 23 together. Verse 34 is where we're going to find ourselves, and then uh, we'll, we'll go through some different uh, concepts and aspects around this idea. Notice, this is saying number one, as Jesus is on the cross there. It says this, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Today we're going to be looking at this idea of forgiveness from three different perspectives. And as we consider what Jesus has to say, and we consider where he is when he says this, and the implications of it, we're going to look at this idea of forgiveness from three different perspectives, or three different parts. It's the prayer for forgiveness, the need for forgiveness, and the means for forgiveness. Now, now Jesus has endured, as we think back, and we think about how did Jesus get to even this place, that Jesus is here on the cross. He's been nailed to the cross and now he's beginning to speak from this position, from this place. He's endured being put on false trial, rejected by the people who he came to save, that the, the people who had the prophecies foretelling his identity, being absolutely certain and sure of everything that, that would precede and foreshadow the coming of Jesus, that he fulfills these prophecies, that he's rejected by them, that he's abandoned by his 12 disciples. He, he's, he's now endured the horrors of scourging, 
and has been led through the streets, mocked and beaten and scorned and ridiculed and spat upon, his beard ripped from his face, and, and now here Jesus is in all of this, all for sins that he did not commit, and now, now he's crucified. Now he's crucified. The nail's driven through his flesh as it pins him to this wood. Jesus has some very specific things to say at this specific time. I think it's, it's important for us to grasp and to note that Jesus didn't say these things before he went to the cross. And Jesus didn't say these things after he went to the cross. He could have remained completely silent. He could have said nothing, and yet he doesn't. He has some things to say. And I think if Jesus is going to speak, we might do well to pay attention to what he has to say. That might be good for us, especially from this place. I mean, place yourself in Jesus' position. If you're there on the cross, would you have the, the wherewithal or even the, the clarity of thought in mind to say anything discernible whatsoever? I think I probably wouldn't. And if I did, probably blessing wouldn't be flowing from me. It'd probably be something else. Maybe some ex- expletives and uh, mean words. That's probably what might be coming out of me, uh, not what Jesus has to say. And so I think it's mind-blowingly amazing uh, what Jesus says here. And everything that Jesus said and did was filled with extreme purpose. Never was a single thing that Jesus ever said or did. Was it ever haphazard? Was it, was it ever accidental? Jesus never found himself in a position where he didn't know what to do or he, he didn't know what was going to come. He, he always knew. And so here he is in the middle of all of this and, and he's choosing in this moment to say these words. And I would submit to you that the reason why is because Jesus is, is literally preaching a mini sermon from his cross about his cross. And so as we go through this together, uh, my hope is that as Jesus speaks to us, that we'll gain a deeper understanding of what his cross is all about from his perspective. So, so let's look at this first idea, this first idea uh, about forgiveness, that it's the prayer for forgiveness. Look back at uh, verse 34. Notice what Jesus says here. It says, it says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Notice right here in the very beginning that the first thing that Jesus says that the very first thing that he says is addressed to the Father, that it's a prayer that Jesus offers. The, the cross begins and ends with prayer. The first thing Jesus says is prayer, and the last thing Jesus says is prayer. And I think it's important for us to grasp this and to note this, that, that Jesus isn't necessarily concerned with what's happening around him or even what's happening to him per se. He's more concerned with his relationship with the Father and the work he's accomplishing. And so Jesus here begins his time on the cross with prayer. What do you think would be on your mind if you were in Jesus' position at this moment? I mean, the extent of the pain is beyond horror and imagination. And and I can't think that what I would say would even be discernible. Not only does Jesus pray, but did you notice that Jesus prays for blessing? Notice what he says there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This... This catches me off guard when I read this. Because if I think in, in, in human terms and I put myself in that position, I don't know that I would be able to do such a thing. It's amazing to me that Jesus is able to. Matthew Henry in his commentary on uh, this section says this, As soon as Christ was fastened to the cross, he prayed for those who crucified him. The great thing he died to purchase and procure for us is the forgiveness of sin. This he prays for. If there's anything that seems right in this moment for Jesus to pray for, it seems understandable that maybe he would pray for himself. When you're in the middle of trial, when you're in the middle of hardship, when you're in the middle of 
persecution and difficulty and pain, I don't start thinking about the people who are hurting me and praying for them. <laughs> Other than, Lord, get them. I, I might pray that. Kind of like the, the imprecatory Psalms where David prays things like, God, break their jaws in their mouth. Have their teeth come out of their face. That's the kind of thing that my mind goes to. And, and yet Jesus doesn't. I think it would be completely understandable if maybe Jesus prays for himself and maybe his condition. Maybe he would pray for rescue. I don't deserve this. Deliver me from this. I shouldn't have to go through this. God, God, give me justice. Maybe pray for that. Maybe even vengeance. God, take revenge on them who are improperly bringing this pain against me. I think all of those things, I, I wouldn't have a problem with any of it. I could see that and I could say, Jesus could pray for these things and he wouldn't lose any of his amazingness in my mind. And yet he doesn't. In all of this, he's not even concerned with himself as he goes to the cross. You see, this prayer is not for himself and his condition. It's for them and their condition. It's for you and me and our condition. He sees that as, as he's going to the cross, that his concern is them. His concern is where they are. His concern is what's happening in their hearts and their minds. You see, contextually, Jesus is referring to those who are literally in the act of crucifying him in this very moment. And by inference, it would also include all of humanity. That, that Jesus is praying for the soldiers that are driving the nails literally. He's praying for uh, the crowd that was gathered together that cried out, crucify him. Yes, Jesus is by context directly praying for them. But by inference, he's also praying for you and me. Because it wasn't the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. That yes, it may have been nails that were driven through his flesh that pinned him to that cross, but it was his love that kept him there. He wasn't stuck. He wasn't imprisoned. He wasn't a victim. He was there on purpose doing something very specific and he knew exactly what he was doing. And so as he's nailed there, it's not the Roman soldiers who are doing such a thing, but it is my sin that put him there. Romans 5, chapter 5, verses 7 through 8 says this in the New Living Translation. It says, now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let that sink in for a minute. That Jesus goes to the cross for you, not on your best day, right? Not when you were, you know, I woke up early, I prayed for three hours, I did the dishes for my wife, I didn't yell at the kids or kick the dog on my way out. Like, everything was great. I let someone cut me off on my way to work. It was, yeah, I'm just, thank you, Jesus, just, you know, praising the Lord all the way through. That's not the day that Jesus died for you, Right? The absolute worst day. When you think about your life, when you think about the thing that you want, you, you really don't want anybody to know about. Like if we were to play a movie of your life and, and you know, people saw that thing, you'd be, that would be extremely embarrassing and absolutely terrible. Uh, that, that is the day that Jesus died for. While you were in your sins, Christ died for you. And he juxtaposes this with us. I mean, if you knew somebody and they were, you know, they were pretty good. Would you, would you sacrifice yourself for them? No. 
Why would I do that? Well, maybe if someone is really amazing and I think that they're really awesome, someone might be willing to give their life for them. But your enemy? Would you sacrifice yourself for your enemy? I have a hard time with that one. Yet this is exactly what Jesus does. That while we were his enemies, that's when Christ died for us. And he did so to change us from enemies to kids. That we went from darkness to light. That we were adopted into his family. What an amazing thing that Jesus does. You see, Jesus here on the cross is in complete control. Not showing a hint of frustration. Not showing a hint of of even disappointment. Let alone anger or hatred. Nothing's coming out of him. Like He's in complete control. And as he's nailed to the cross unjustly, unrighteously, for things he didn't even do, love and grace and mercy pour out of him. As the nails are driven into his flesh, he feels the pain of what their sin was causing them, not what was being caused to him. Our God is is amazing. The damage that they were doing to their own souls through sin is the pain that Jesus was feeling. And that's where his concern was. The first thing he prays for is the thing he's accomplishing. God, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. They have no idea the implications of what's taking place. That I'm not just another guy. I'm not probably guilty. That I'm in fact God. And that I'm I'm holding together the very molecules of their existence at this very moment. As they nail me to this cross. You see, it's extreme courage and compassion that have brought Jesus here. And in this moment, he fully understands what he's providing. This act of restoring broken relationship is is done by forgiveness. Jesus knows that here in the middle of this, that that the, the relationship between God and man is broken and destroyed, and that the only possible way of accomplishing this relationship's restoration is through his going to the cross. That that's it. There's no other way. Do you remember that Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And as he's there, he prayed, if there's any other way, let's do that. As drops of blood poured from his face, the capillaries on his face bursting from the overwhelming stress and blood pouring from his face. As he looks to the horrors of the cross, as he looks to not just the physical thing, but the physical thing representing something spiritual, that Jesus is separated from the father for our sin. He says, if there's any other way, let's do that. Let's pick that one. And then his prayer is followed up by, nevertheless, not what I want, not what's best for me, but your will be done. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He takes our sin because this is the only possible way. We have to be careful to not downplay the cross of Christ in any way, but to uplift the cross of Jesus. If there was any way for you to just be good enough and just to be able to keep enough laws and be able to do enough stuff and to be able to give enough money and serve enough time or whatever it happens to be, then the cross of Jesus would be absolutely unnecessary. And and so we've got to be careful not to try to earn our right standing with God based upon the stuff we do, but instead to place ourselves under the grace of God and that everything that I do is only an overflow of his great love for me. That he loves me so much. What other response can I have but then to give my life to him? To say, God, help me to live all of my time and all of my days for your glory. 
This is the heartbeat and the thrust of our lives to, to live in response to the cross of Christ. Not to try to add to or say, thanks for dying for me, Jesus, but I got to do some stuff as well in order to make sure that God likes me. Don't fall prey to that foolishness and that lie from the enemy. Jesus is here praying for and offering forgiveness. Notice before anyone has any knowledge of their need for it. Do these soldiers have any knowledge of their need for forgiveness? How about the people mocking and ridiculing Jesus as they're passing by? They don't even know that they need forgiveness, and yet Jesus is praying for what they don't need. And they don't even have the understanding or wherewithal to have sought after it on their own. But Jesus begins to pray for them. And I've got to think, and I've got to hope and believe that these men, there, given this duty, uh, this detail of crucifying Jesus, of overseeing this, that through this process, they end up coming to salvation in the Lord. I know at least one does. One of the soldiers there said, Jesus, surely this is the the son of God when Jesus died. That that something shifted in his mind. That something took place. That that, that God was able to, through this, reach out to them, even though they were indifferent and indignant and didn't really seek after the forgiveness. But Jesus here is praying for and offering to them forgiveness before they even had knowledge of their own need for it. Not only do we see the prayer for forgiveness, but also secondly, we see the need for forgiveness. As Jesus is praying for this, it is also by inference understood that this is something we need. I mean, if Jesus is going to pray for it, we probably need it. And so Jesus is praying for this, but he's also showing us something that we desperately need. Father, forgive them. The greatest human need of all is forgiveness. Think of the different needs that you have in life. You need shelter. You need clothing. You need safety. You need relationships with people. You need friendships. One of the worst things that that you can do as far as punishment if you're in prison is to be placed into a solitary confinement because you lose your mind. You need people. You need relationships. This is a deep need that you have. You need food. You can only live uh, about 30, 40 days without food. And then you die. You have to eat. You need water. You can only live a couple of days without water. You don't have water, a couple of days go by and that's it. You're you're going to die. You need air. You can only live a few seconds without air. But you cannot live one moment without forgiveness. Forgiveness is your deepest need. And we've got to keep this in mind as we think about the people around us as well. That their greatest need is forgiveness. This isn't just for the Christian. This is a human need. That of all people in all the world, the greatest human need that we have is for forgiveness. It's such an intense need that people who refuse it will do one of two things. They'll either justify themselves and saying, it's okay. My sin is okay for whatever reason it's justified. Or they will literally go insane and lose their minds under the weight and pressure of their own depravity, of their own sinfulness. Most people fall into the category of uh, trying to justify themselves. Just, just this week, I actually was uh, at work and doing an install for a guy. And uh, as I was talking with him, he immediately jumped into um, trying to preach his gospel to me. Uh, and his gospel was one of karma. Uh, that's what his great uh, gospel was. And so he was talking to me about how karma works. And he was saying that the people in, in Tennessee that are dealing with uh, the fires and uh, tornadoes and things, that it was karma. It was because 
they're Christian, I guess, in his mind. And uh, now because they're Christian that they are reaping the benefits of their karma. I'm not really sure how. It was a bunch of crazy, uh, but that's what he was saying. And as I was kind of listening to him and just uh, kind of going through the motions of letting him you know, say his thing and thinking through this here, uh, essentially what he's doing is in all of this, He's stating this idea, this gospel of karma, that if you do good things, then the universe is going to make good things come back to you. It's a way for him to justify himself without Christ. He's attacking Christianity. He's attacking the only hope that he actually has. And the reason why is because he needs to be forgiven. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we continue through a series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. Have you ever heard the phrase, famous last words? Well, what we're studying covers Jesus' actual famous last words before he was crucified. There's more to learn and discover from this series, so join us again next time. Before we go, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can take this with you on the go or share with friends. If you want more info or would like to get some details on who we are as a church, feel free to go to redemptioncalvary.org. Pastor Cody and the rest of our team here at Redemption Radio would be happy to connect with you. If there's anything we can be praying for, we'd like to help and support you in that way. You can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you don't already have a church community and are looking for one, you're welcome to visit us at Redemption Calvary, located in Commerce City, Colorado. We meet each Sunday, and there's room for you. For directions and service times, visit redemptioncalvary.org. As we end our time today, we want to invite you to join us again for our next edition. Pastor Cody will continue to share some really great thoughts from this series, Seven Last Sayings of Jesus, here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.